Success Movie Rewind. We're looking at movies through a personal development lens, seeing what we can learn. Here's your host, Alex Stevens. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Success Movie Rewind. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. This week, we're talking about The Matrix. The Matrix is a very difficult film to begin talking about on a podcast because it means so many things forget about to so many people. It means so many things to me. I love this movie with all of my heart. I was 15 years old, a teenage boy when this came out. And so I could not have been more centered in the demographic primed to enjoy this movie and to attach and imprint upon it. But that's not how I experienced it. Uh, I was actually, I, I may have mentioned this last week, I went to one of those Paris Hilton troubled teen boarding schools as a teenager. Shortly after I arrived, The Matrix came out. And it was so obvious to me, a handful of boys saw it on like off-campus visits with their family. And they came back changed. They came back so excited, so potentiated, so ready to, <laughs> for some of them, topple the oppressive structure in which we all found ourselves, that the movie The Matrix created a new rule. The administration cracked down on the practice of seeing movies when you were off campus because they couldn't control what kind of content their unruly students were consuming. So <laughs> The Matrix was so powerful that I didn't see The Matrix for years because it was obviously you weren't even allowed to talk about it after these guys got done hyping it up so much. And we were like begging. We were allowed to see if everyone behaved well like one or two movies a weekend at the time. And uh, we were like, please, The Matrix, have, have you heard what so-and-so has said about it? And it's not like, it, it, it doesn't really have a lot of strong depictions of like drug use or sex or anything like that. Uh, I have a very specific trigger warning to issue in a second, but uh, it's not like that. It's the spirit of the movie. It's revolutionary. It really is about waking up to the spirit of the universe within and without you, harmonizing your role as a whole person, but also a part of a much greater whole and carving out your own path with your chosen community there, dealing with your adversary, but also integrating yourself along the way, dodging the bullets. Oh my gosh, it's, it's the best movie. Uh, and so of course, you know, like I said, there's, we don't do those kind of like specific trigger warnings every week. We pick three personal development points and we talk about them. Uh, this is a big tent family friendly podcast, although not everything we reference is rated PG. We do aim for our content to be PG and this week is no exception, but I can't lie to you folks. We're going to change lives here because we're talking about the matrix. So even if this has you revisiting the movie at all, 
you're going to take something different from it. You know, one of my favorites, speaking of teenage boys attaching to this movie, the best sequence of all time, or not of all time, but I strongly relate, unfortunately, uh, maybe this is why I got sent to that boarding school, bad Mother's Day or birthday gifts, but uh, AJ Soprano on The Sopranos, uh, Anthony Jr., there's a early season where he gives Carmela like a very obviously late purchase or maybe he just grabbed it off the shelf. It's not even wrapped or maybe it's wrapped in the bag or something like that. But he gets Carmela, his mother, a copy of The Matrix for her birthday. And Tony's like, ah, you know, like, write it Pirelli. You know, like he immediately is like, reads it for what it is. But I would say if you consider yourself more of a Carmela, check it out. You know, there's, there's a lot to, to check out there. Uh, it really does have something for everybody because it's such a universal story. And we all have to wake up to something. We all have this, this beautiful instrument, our body and our consciousness and our spirit. And they work together when they're working well in harmony to allow us to perceive the universe and to perceive both the danger and keep us safe. And that's really what these ego constructed consciousnesses are for, but also to push us forward, to push us into the right kind of danger to, to have us experience as full a life as possible. It's a hero's journey. And it, it's a really an interesting twist because it's like a late 90s uh, twist. Uh, it's pre-9-11, as Slavoj Zizek pointed out in his kind of fundamental take on The Matrix a few years later, The Desert of the Real. Uh, and so it's set in this computer-simulated reality where the hacker... Thomas Anderson, who leads a double life, that's his name during the day. At night, he's Neo. He's played by Keanu Reeves, and he's driven by this question, what is the Matrix? And he doesn't know, but he, he follows the, the clues. And it turns out the Matrix is a simulated reality, and that it's uh, controlled by AI, who is enslaving and harvesting humans for their, their energy. And they have these agents that appear like people, but they're actually programs and they're designed to stamp out the human rebellion that is freeing people from the matrix. And so Zizek points out, or Zizek, I think maybe how, how he pronounces it, points out that this is like a very pre 9-11 like desire for something to happen. And if you look at, there is a, a stark tone. We've commented on it before. The Avengers to me kind of put it to bed, but you can, it's a little uncomfortable almost to watch pre 9-11 media. Uh, not like the Sopranos where it's like, oh, the towers are gone from the credits, but like, uh, you know, after whatever season it was where 9-11 happened, but like big explosions of cities, you know, independence there or whatever, you're like, whoa, that kind of is harder to watch because you're like, I remember 9-11, like that, that kills a lot of people. Uh, so the Avengers, uh, you know, had to reckon with that the way pre-9-11 movies didn't really have to. And so there's some of that with The Matrix, um, you know, for sure. But Kind of like Neo, something's off with the Zizek take. I'm probably just not bright enough to understand it. But I don't endorse that take, but it is interesting to think about because it is a very late 90s, like we got to wake up from the anodyne corporate world, man. Uh, you know, which is a little more oppositional than I like to view that particular question. But what's universal about this story is that like the classic hero in many iterations of the hero's journey, there is, of course, a call to adventure. Neo gets a literal call on, on the cell phone from Lawrence Fishburne's character Morpheus, who is Neo's sort of father through waking up from this dream world into the real world, rebelling against the Matrix. But 
he doesn't have the faith at first. And so when the agents are chasing Neo, he's on the phone with Morpheus and he, Morpheus is like, you got to get off, jump out of the window of this very high skyscraper. And Neo's like, I can't do it. He gets captured by the, uh, the agents. And so he's like, he thinks they're like the FBI or whatever. And he's like, I want my phone call. I want my phone call. I want my phone call. And they're like, that's not what this is. And then actually Neo, you know, because they can morph reality and matter within the matrix because the agents can, Neo finds himself without a mouth. And that's such a powerful point, I think, because Neo, he doesn't realize how much is up for grabs when you start waking up from your dream. And it, it is terrifying. That's why it's so scary. That's why the refusal of the call is such a classic element of the hero's journey. And so Neo literally refuses this call. And I think that's such an important point because to me, that really is my definition of like what a sin is. It's not the initial time you find out that you are no exception to the principle of human frailty and you find yourself doing something that's inconsistent with your values and you're like, dang, I regret that. I'm ashamed of that. I'm guilty of that. I did something wrong. I owe someone an apology. I'm a bad person. I'm not who I think I should be. I'm not who I thought I was whoa, what do I do with that? I'm the abject horror of finding out how, how low I can go. What, to me, that's like that's the opportunity to change and the reverse of that feeling is what you need to aspire to. But that's that second call and that's our first personal development takeaway this week from The Matrix is it's no sin, I think, to kind of like find out your values by failing to live up to them the first time because you didn't know better. You know what I mean? So it's like you refuse that first call. All right. But then you're wallowing in the regret. You shouldn't wallow. But you know what I mean? You feel it, right? You get that second call. Whatever it is, it's going to be a little different. That's where you really have the opportunity to either go on the right path or to screw up. Now, like I said, infinite calls are all around us all the time. But you may not have the eyes to see them or the ears to hear them the second time. So if you do, you got to grab it. Don't refuse the second call if you regret your first refusal. That's our first takeaway. Don't refuse the second call if you regret your refusal of the first call. And that's really the, the big buildup, and I, I promised you a trigger warning, and I'm about to play it, but it's, it's you know, we, you know I had to do it to him. I, I hope, here's our meme recommendation of the week. When I say you know I had to do it to him, that's a, a specific reference to like a now five-year-old meme of just the guy who wore a funny outfit where he wore like pink shorts and stood on the grass with his hand, his like fist in his palm in a very specific way and tweeted out a picture of himself and said, you know, I had to do it to him and just instantly became an internet legend for, what, for whatever reason. So if you're into that kind of thing and you don't know what that is, just Google that. But I, I feel like a fraud. I say that all the time on this podcast. That's what that's about. Uh, see, that's the kind of waking up that we try to do. You know what I mean? You think that's just, I'm just doing one thing, but then it's like, whoa, that's a, oh, what if, what if, what other references are in there? Whoa. Well, here's another one. Every time I say like, whoa, I'm thinking of Keanu Reeves, Neo in this movie. I don't know if he actually says, whoa, in this movie, but it's the kind of movie that makes you say that. I'm actually more thinking of Bill and Ted, but uh, Neo's just, I mean, such an iconic character because it is like, 
dumb Ted to me, but he, he cultivates Keanu Reeves as like such an emptiness of affect that everyone can project the savior status onto Neo, which of course is an anagram for the one, you know, the one who is maybe, maybe not destined to top of the matrix. But before he can go on that hero's journey call, he's got to answer the second call. And like I said, it's not always going to be the phone actually rings again. It's a feeling, you know, it's the continuity of the vibe. It's the vibe continuity where in your heart, you're like, the last time I was this mixture of scared and excited, it was XYZ situation. And I turned that down and I regretted it ever since. And I want to turn this down again, but I also feel that excitement. That's when you got it. That's the second call and you got to answer it. And for Neo, you already know what his second call is. This, it, it's been the metaphor, you know, the metaphor has come to mean many things, uh, but let's take it back to the original. It's the second call. When Neo's refused the first phone call, he doesn't have the faith to figure things out on his own, but he knows he doesn't know the truth. And that's all Morpheus offers. He says, all I can give you is the truth, but I still got to warn you. It's the, you know, the classic sequence. You know what it is. If you've wondered, if you've heard the expression, I'm red pilled on this, or what's the red pill, you know, give me the straight dope. I don't mean that in terms of the gender, you know, the, the problematic, toxic masculinity knuckleheads who have been, I think they're on their way to being banned from Reddit. It's like you have to bounce off like four Google like ways if you want to wade into that cesspool. But, you know, the red pill has come to mean a lot of gender specific things. But I'm all let's take it back to the original. You know, this movie's also, according to Andrea Long Chu, about being trans, uh, which, of course, the Wachowski sisters are. Um, you know, so there's a lot of ways to look at it. We can't let the red pill guys own that expression. But it, it is an iconic sequence for a reason. So, folks, I'm going to play out our next clip. We're going to take a break, but I want you to listen to this clip because if you've already thought, I can't go on, I'm not ready for what the Matrix has to offer. There's too many life lessons. I, this first lesson has been too powerful. I can't take lesson number two and three. That's your second call. You got to follow it. Okay? So we're going to listen to this clip. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about points two and three. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. <sighs> Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. 
and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. All right, folks. Welcome back. I hope I'm glad you came back. Thank you for taking the red pill and going into the second half of this podcast. Let's get right to it because we've got a lot to talk about. But our second point, okay? So we've swallowed the red pill, right? You know, we may have not answered the first phone call, but we're on our way. We want to wake up. We're like St. Augustine. We want to want to be better, uh, but we're not quite sure how. How do you do it? Once you know you're in the matrix, you know that your reality is skewed. You know something's wrong in the way you've been going about your life. You know you're in your, in your heart. You know there's something more. What do you do? How do you break out? Well, that's the answer. That's our second point. You've got to look to those irrational points. You've got to, when you feel the matrix being a little bit off, rather than running away from that terror, you got to say, what's that about? What's my vision of how things can be better? How can things be different? What in the matrix is so unsatisfactory that I, in my current day life, my, my matrix right now, what am I kind of feeling uneasy about? What's a little bit off? I need to follow that. And that's really important, like from an entrepreneurial angle, that's where the good business ideas come from. But it's also where we find out who we are and where we become our best selves. That's really our second point uh, with respect to the matrix is it really, like all great pieces of art, doesn't just pose a question. It's, it, it, it definitely says like the answer to the question is keep pursuing the questions. Uh, but that line is spoken by the character Trinity, who is so interesting because Neo and Morpheus definitely have like a father-son relationship. The movie is very explicit about this. And it's also very explicit about Neo being the one, the terms are anagrams for each other. The, the term Jesus Christ, there's a trigger warning for you. It is thrown about left and right throughout this movie uh, very informally, if you care about that kind of thing. But I think it's always purposefully and it's always like meaningful when they do it because that is the kind of figure Neo is. And so, of course, the fact that the female love interest is named Trinity is so interesting. Of course, that could mean the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and what is the third thing? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. But to take it broader than a Christian context, because this movie has something to offer everybody, that's why we're talking about it, and the Wachowskis made it that way. Uh, I think Trinity, to me, really does represent, it's right there in the name, it's that third thing, the tertium quid in the Latin that takes us out of the binary, the zeros and the ones. You know, there's this great sequence where Neo's face to face with the agents for the first time, actually right before he realizes you may not get a second phone call. And he gives the agents, he's like, how about I give you the finger? And then he gives it to them, obscene gesture alert. Thank God this, or thank goodness this isn't a video podcast. But they, the, the way they shoot it, it's like the camera, it's a cut. It doesn't actually swing around, but the perspective immediately like 180s so that you see his obscene gesture counterposed over the agent's fist. And to me, it's always like a one emerging out of the zero of the fist or like the void, you know, it's very cool. And it's, it's in touch with the themes of the movie. Uh, but there's a third thing there, and it's that irrational thing that doesn't fit in the binary. It's love, man. You've got to see it. And that's the light that is shining through the matrix. It's, it's the light we can't see, but we can feel. And that's your guide to your path out of the matrix. And so our second point 
you know, looking to what's off and what's wrong, looking through the dark lens, going through a dark, gothic, neo, late 90s industrial techno rave on your way to your sequels, having the same kind of rave, but in an underground city of Zion, spoiler alert for the Matrix sequels, uh, but the, some of the best rave sequences of all time, if you know, you know. Um, you know, that's all well and good. But you also got to look to the positive. And to me, you know, sometimes you don't feel like the one. And that's what I like about this movie is they have a character, the Oracle, who's supposed to be able to tell the future. And she's kind of tricky, you know, like all Oracles are. She likes to have it both ways. She tells you what you need to hear. You know what I'm saying? Her truth is your truth. But it, her, her truth may be that we only know our truths and it's hard to find the truth. And maybe that's what the real is about. You know, Morpheus very famously says, welcome to the desert of the real when he's waking Neo up. And that's, that is what the, the Zizek book, I think, takes its title from that line. And of course, it comes from a long line of philosophical references. We're not smart enough to break those down here on Success Movie Rewind. Or actually, we're smart enough to know that that's not super important unless you want to show off. The important thing is that it's, it's, it's in your heart, man. Love is the answer. And sometimes to see that, what's off in your perspective is your view of yourself. And so our second point here is like Neo has to, you may not feel like the one, right? But to Trinity, Neo is the one. And the Oracle actually confirmed that to her. And Trinity reveals that to Neo. And I think that really speaks to the hero's battle, especially in today's day and age, you know, about like, we're in a time where kind of, it feels like everything's been done, right? We're at the end of history, but something's wrong. Like we don't, we still don't have it. And we need leaders, but it's like, we're so naturally cynical about leaders. And then, then it becomes hard to even be a leader of yourself. But then you're like, who could be my leader? You know what I mean? And then it's like, well, a higher power. But should we even believe in that in, the, in this modern, postmodern, cynical age? Of course, I think the answer is yes, because like this movie shows you, your consciousness is not enough, but you have within you the means to keep kind of blindly reaching out to just that next felt thing. And love is your pathway there. And so if you don't feel like the one, to me, a very useful exercise you know, not every day is like, uh, I'm, I'm jumping all over the place, but just to back up, like to give a little more context about what I'm talking about. Not every day is like, I'm on my mission today. I just feel driven. I feel like I'm going to do everything X, Y, and Z, and it's everything's in line and I know what I'm doing and why. But if you're lucky, you have people in your life that care about you. And if you don't, you feel that and that stinks and probably you feel that absence because you've had people that care about you or you're just not seeing that people care about you. And let me tell you something. I know I'm just a podcast host and I know we only spend time with each other 30 minutes a week. But if you're listening to this, we are kindred spirits because we're on similar paths in terms of wanting better for ourselves and our loved ones or wanting to have more loved ones. And that's what it's all about, man. And that's what I'm saying. The second point this week that I keep promising to say is that you've got to listen to the people that love you, okay? And listen to the love that's in your heart. You've gotta to listen to love when it shines through the matrix. That's the second point. Listen to love when it shines through the matrix and you feel it in your heart. And that's really, to me, revealed when the love interest Trinity reveals to Neo 
that the reason she knows his, he's the one is it's not rational. She just knows it because she loves him. And that to me, what is one way that love can be? You know, I, I ultimately think love as an action is the demonstrable like result of you willing someone else's goodwill, sometimes at the cost of your own, again, because it's, it's irrational. But it begins as a felt thing in your heart, you know? E. e. Cummings, poet laureate of success movie Rewind, perhaps, maybe Wallace Stevens too, but said that feeling is a first. And that really is true. And you've got to listen when it sparks up, just like you've got to listen when that second call comes. When something in your heart stirs and it reminds you of, you know, an early love or an excitement for a thing you felt before, sometimes that can be scary. You know, you've built a safe life and you, you think you're done with that kind of excitement, but you've got to listen to it. And when someone else says, hey, I've got a vision and I think you might be excited about it, or, hey, I've got something that I think might work for you. Or, hey, I see a part of you that I would love if, you, if I could hear more about or see more of because it's so awesome. You may be like, what is this person talking about? I don't have that kind of potential. You do. That's why they see it. That's part of their matrix and it's just as real as, as yours. So you've got to listen to them. And so I, I just love this moment when Trinity says this to Neo. It reminds me of one of my other favorite films and I'll explain that in a second. But before we listen to it, let's talk about our second, or let's listen to our second clip and we'll get back to it in a second. nice you know if there's a, a clip where somebody is telling another character that they love them odds are we're going to work it into success movie rewind and i'm glad we did but this clip really brings me to my third point because you know we it wasn't long enough you heard that swelling of music begin and so we didn't want to take up too much time but what happens after that clip is she's just like now get up and he does and then you know he's brought back to life by the power of love, he's resurrected as the one because he's now realizing that even though he thought he wasn't the one, he is for Trinity and that helps him become the one. And then he doesn't have to dodge bullets anymore. He can kind of wave them away. It's awesome. But it brings us to our third clip. And it's a, it's a very, I love it. Like I said, I was a teenage boy when this happens. You know, it's on the way out of the movie when Neo's defeated the agents for the first time, but we're realizing the battle has only just begun. And the outro is just so awesome to this movie, so we had to do it as our third clip. But it does bring us to a very interesting point. So let's listen to this third clip, and then we will be back home with our third point to take it home. I know you're out there. I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. 
A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. Okay, so as you can tell, I have to mean what I say about not pushing it with music clips. We're, we're all about fair use here, uh, but it's hard to cut off that rage against the machine when it gets going, man. Um, but really interesting clip, and I, I love the message. I love always looking to overthrow the matrix, but there's a writer, Jason Horsley, who coined this term, the second matrix. And he's, it's a good point. I agree with Jason Horsley on a lot of diagnosis. He's kind of like Karl Marx to me. Uh, we don't agree on a lot of our conclusions, but I find him very interesting. And uh, this term, the second matrix, is so useful. And I think what he means by it is when you, you have this waking up experience, you eventually settle into another reality, uh, unless you remain completely untethered for the rest of your life, which is basically psychosis. But even then, you settle into a new kind of, you know, quote unquote, psychotic reality, I suppose, uh, that may shift more than most people's, but is still a set of principles that is another matrix. And I was reminded of uh, when we listened to our second clip, but I wanted to listen to the outro before I talked about this angle. But uh, when Trinity tells Neo right after that, I love you clip, she says, now get up. And that reminded me of a sequence in the film Inherent Vice by, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, which is based on a novel by Thomas Pynchon, which takes place in California at the, the dawn of the 70s, perhaps, or the, the dusk of the 60s. But that's kind of the point. It's an interstitial period when the ideals of the hippie period start to get corrupted by power. And the character is this private investigator who's a hippie who has to kind of contend with, was this always there or is it being corrupted or am I just now perceiving it? And he has a counterpart, kind of his agent Smith is this character, Bigfoot Bjornsson. So the, the character Doc Sportello is the private investigator who's a hippie. So kind of like, what side of the law is he on? Is he about peace and love or is he about law enforcement? And then he has this, the shadow character, Bigfoot Bjornsson, who wants to be an actor, but he's a, a police officer. And so they're kind of like inverses of each other. And so Bigfoot has, uh, she's a, you know, a, she's like a, a battle. I don't know if battle axe is a term that's on the way out. I don't like, it doesn't feel good to say it. And it's like a term that to me denotes like somebody who's not attractive, which I don't like to use those kinds of terms. And I wouldn't use it to describe this actress anyway, but his wife is like a very aggressive woman, Bigfoot Bjornsson's. And there's a scene where she's like, get up, get up, Christian. Like, uh, and Bigfoot, you realize his first name is Christian. But, you know, to bring it back to the Matrix, like Trinity telling the one to get up reminded me of another movie where a woman tells her man, get up. And she's like, can't you be? She's really harping on him. <laughs> like, and she's basically like, be the man I want you to be. And that has parallels with, this is a family podcast, so without going into detail, but Doc Sportello has his own experience with his woman, kind of the femme fatale that he's been chasing throughout the film Inherent Vice. Uh, 
you know, returning in his life and sort of getting him to be less laid back as a hippie and getting him to sort of get up uh, and they, they end up reunited. But the last line of this movie, and this movie is so enigmatic to me, or it, it was for so many years, and I finally read the novel and I love it so much. And uh, it's just, you can read it over and over again. Great audiobook. Just, I'm not, I, I've only read that and the first book Thomas Pynchon wrote, both of which are his shortest books. But that's really, I'm looking forward to eventually reading others, but they're both great and they're both, I think, under 300 pages. Check them out if you're interested at all. But the, la the film is different from the book, although Thomas Pynchon apparently approved of the film and the script. Um, but the, the, the film ends with Doc and his woman... You know, and I don't mean to use the possessive, and I'll get to the point. It's it's not in, used in that way at all. But the the his love interest uh, having reunited, and they're in a car together. And there's a lot of occult symbology in the movie. You know, of course, it's hippie California. There's so much we could do a whole podcast on inherent vice. I'm not sure this is that kind of podcast, but I'll bring this back to the Matrix eventually. But. Um, so the movie ends, they're in a car together and there's this like very wistful plaintiff music. The score I think is by Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead who works a lot with the director, Paul Thomas Anderson. And again, you're getting the sense like all should be good, but the new matrix is settling in and something's off again. And it's like, shouldn't we be feeling good? It, it kind of echoes the end of another 60s touchstone film, The Graduate, where your two characters are riding in a car together, having lost the shackles of the old generation, but heading into an uncertain future. And uh, Doc's not girlfriend, but love interest says, you know, this doesn't mean that we're back together. And the first time you hear it, at least for me, it is kind of a Keanu, like, whoa, <laughs> you know, this isn't that kind of movie. Okay. Uh, this isn't a happily ever after. You know, she is, a, this character is very much a flighty, irrational love interest. And she captures that side of love very well in the true meaning of Eros. She's wild. And Doc says, you know, kind of reactively, no, of course not. And I think there is an element of him protecting his feelings there. But then the final shot of the movie is the light comes in through the car window so that only one of Doc's eyes is illuminated, which of course is a cult symbology of an eye opening, the single eye on the dollar bill, man, you know, of course, all of that. And I spent so much time thinking about what does that mean? And I think that's what it means is at best we get one eye open, you know, in the land of the blind, the one eyed person is king and we can be that one eyed person from time to time. And you can see what's wrong with the matrix and you can see that new world and you can strive for it. And that's what love gives, gives us glimpses of. But our third takeaway is that there's always another matrix, right? And so usually when you're seeing what's wrong with your current world, you're seeing how you've been polarized in some way, in a way that you can feel is inconsistent with your values better than you can explain it. As you become able to explain it, you become different 
uh, because you're thinking and learning and doing more. Uh, and that is part of your way out of you know that insufficient matrix. But you're always getting into a new one. And so optimistically, there's always a better world to strive for. And we can imagine ourselves like Sisyphus, happy, pushing that boulder up the hill, striving for a better matrix. But uh, from another point of view, and this is more of the Jason Horsley point of view, that second matrix is like, ugh, is this what, what it's all about? And there's a humility there that I think is worth cultivating uh, that I, I really think bears repeating. There's always another matrix. And so just keep that love in your heart alive and be open to it even after the revolution, you know? And I think that's really important. Like I said, th this feels very anti nine or very nineties, very anti corporate. Like I'm about to go light a garbage can on fire in Seattle. But as I was listening to it also, and I don't mean this as a derisive, uh, comparison, I was reminded of, I follow the Starbucks workers United on Twitter, or I have, I follow a lot of people associated with that effort. The workers that are organizing Starbucks as union workers. And look, every story needs a hero. Every story needs a villain. And I, it is not my, we don't have enough time left for me to give you my thoughts on that specific campaign. But I think this is a very exciting moment. There's a third thing emerging where, um, People seem to say, you know, like, uh, we want this company to be better. We want it to be more like its values, not necessarily we hate this company. And I like that. And so I would, you know, it, it's like my advice is fraught. This is like I was a corporate management labor lawyer. So it's easy. My matrix is through the lens of corporate management. So my job is to say, what do the workers have to say? What are they actually talking about? What has motivated people to be, take this literally exceptional effort uh, so far? Because it is an exception. Most companies don't do that. What is the trend here? What is off in my matrix that I kind of did see this coming? I don't want to get into that. But what is off in the consensus matrix that people didn't are acting surprised like they didn't see this coming? Um, but then I do say, you know, for what it's worth, when you are in power, you know, watch the movie The Irishman, okay? Just, there's another matrix. And power, being in a power position, especially if you're not used to it, and I say this as someone who went from a law student to a corporate labor lawyer, which came with a more power in some ways than I even realized, and certainly than I was used to having access to, uh, you really got to learn to check yourself. And you'll learn that by observing other people, and you'll learn that by observing your own hearts. And so I've, I have no wisdom to offer about what those specifics would look like, but I would say if you're ever leading that kind of change and you're breaking people out of the matrix and you're feeling good and you're helping people and you're making the world better for you and your community, that's what it's all about. And that's what's in your heart. That lived in your heart. That's why you were able to translate it into the real world. And so as this matrix settles on you, as you have to make compromises, you know, I see like the Amazon labor union hooking up with old school teamsters, you know, in photo ops and getting advice. And, you know, I'm like, Listen to your heart. That's all, that's all I really have to say for everybody because it's a new thing and it's easy to say the enemy of the enemy is my friend. It's easy to say my enemy is always going to be my enemy. But, you know, like, for example, like what if uh, a new CEO comes in, uh, you know, in general, I, I don't think Amazon is in danger of that, but and, and somebody is doing better uh, or, for example, like 
I actually got my Rage Against the Machine tape taken away by a principal when I was in middle school. What if I use that to mean I hate all teachers, you know, the way some people seem to say I hate all people in authority or I hate anybody that gets promoted into management. You see that a lot. People reluctant to take opportunities because they don't want to, It's you know, cross that line, so to speak. And like, I've seen too many varieties of these disputes to say there's any hard and fast rule, except you have to listen to your heart and you have to honor people listening to theirs. And it's easier said than done. And so that's, <laughs> I'm going to take the easy one and just say it and just encourage you in your general life. Look for the beauty. Look for what feels good. If you find yourself feeling regret or reminded of a time that you did, that may be another call. Don't refuse it. Listen to the, lo the love in your heart. Uh, even when the second matrix shines through, the love will shine through again. And that is really the joy. There's always a matrix to deconstruct. There's always a new one to build and we can have faith that we can build better. These great works of art, these great movies take us, uh, I believe steps farther down that path or further. I'm not sure what adjective to use with that or what, what version of that word to use with that kind of metaphor. So I'll quit while I'm ahead. I realize we've gone a little longer than usual, folks, but like I said, we can do the Matrix next week. I won't do that, though. We'll see you next week with another classic. Thanks for stopping by this week on Success Movie Rewind. See you next week. That's a wrap. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.